awesome to see everyone here this morning. Welcome to Creekside Church. Let's just take a moment to bow our heads uh, and uh, say thank you to God for this opportunity to gather together. Father, we are grateful that we can be here in the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, that we can lift our voices together and remember that Jesus is in control. Jesus is our King. Uh, Lord, no matter how crazy things may appear uh, in our lives personally or in the world around us, um, you are our refuge and we can take confidence in knowing that you are in control. We just ask that as we continue to sing this morning, you would make our praises uh, sweet in your sight. Uh, you would help us to just turn our hearts and our eyes uh, onto you and to forget some of the distractions and the things that uh, are sometimes are just sometimes hard to uh, let go of. And so we thank you for this opportunity. May our uh, praises be sweet to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Again, thank you for joining us this morning. I don't have a lot in the way of announcements. Please take a look at your bulletin. Uh, you can see uh, upcoming events and things that are happening. I know there's a fundraiser coming up in May for uh, our trip to upcoming trip to Haiti. We should continue also to uh, lift up uh, those who are there right now. I believe they're still there, right, Steve? Norb and Karen and JR. Um, so let's continue to do that. Um, if you are part of our Sunday school group, uh, you are dismissed uh, to head upstairs. Uh, with that, I'm going to invite Steve to come on up. Yes, keep uh, praying for, actually, Karen is not there, she's here. So uh, I saw her this morning, but uh, Norb, Debbie, and JR are in Haiti right now, and along with Jude Augusma, so he is there with them. I uh, just want to Welcome you here this morning. If you are here and you happen to be a guest, if this is your first time at Creekside, I just want to extend a special welcome to you. And if you didn't receive a bulletin, they are out on the welcome table. Or if you have one, there is a, a flap on the end of the bulletin. I don't know how to describe it any better than that. So if you have ideas, you can tell me. But, uh, and, and that's not just for visitors, it's for everybody. But if you would fill that out and put it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table... Uh, then we'd have a record of your attendance, or if you have a prayer request or uh, interest in small groups or a special interest or something you need to talk to us about, that's a good way to communicate it, as well as you can go online and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I want to uh, take a moment just to, to pray. Uh, we've got a couple of, of needs. First of all, uh, our team that's in Haiti right now, the three of them, and then uh, Debbie Cruz, who is a relatively... Uh, New, Gary and Debbie, relatively new to our congregation, but she's having uh, surgery on an ankle tomorrow, so I'd like you to be praying for her. She uh, shattered it pretty well, I guess, so she's got some screws and plates and all kinds of uh, reconstructive surgery. Uh, orthopedic surgery is kind of like construction on bones, uh, so just uh, be praying for her. So I'd like to uh, go to the Lord in prayer if you'd allow me now. Father, as we come before you, and even as we were singing that last song, Lord, I know uh, that there are many in our congregation who are hurting and struggling. And so to sing uh, that you are good, good, so good uh, is really uh, in many ways a statement of faith and a conviction of the heart 
and sometimes our feelings aren't in line with our facts and I pray that to the degree that our feelings of your goodness are not in line with the fact of your goodness I pray that you would work in our hearts to bring those two together Uh, we know the ultimate demonstration of your goodness is on the cross of Calvary and so we pray that you would help us to find grace and strength to help in our time of need. I ask that you'd comfort and encourage uh, those who are challenged and struggling. I pray for our team in Haiti, for Norb and for Debbie and for JR. I pray for physical health and strength. I ask that you'd work powerfully in their hearts and through their ministry that they would be able to honor you, exalt you, and magnify your name. I pray for them and and Jude that the things would go well. They'd get the supplies they need and be able to uh, work uh, powerfully. We pray for for Debbie tomorrow in her surgery. Just ask that you would guide the surgeons, that you would allow uh, the, the, the anesthesia to work, that they do their job well, and that there would be no complications. That's our prayer and our desire. And we pray that you'd give uh, Debbie and Gary this, the, the, the courage and strength to be witnesses for you in the midst of this challenge. And Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word this morning as we continue to worship through the study of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've got a, a test for you this morning as we start. So uh, you're going you're gonna to look at a, a picture on the screen, and I want you to think, what's the first thing you see? Okay, some of you see two faces. Some of you see a vase, right? Okay, some of you have seen this before. It depends on where your focus is, right? What you see depends upon where you focus. And the fact that you didn't see the two faces or that you didn't see the vase when you first looked at the picture doesn't negate the fact that they're there. In much the same way, as we look at the passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 27, we're going to see that God is working in ways sometimes that we aren't always aware of. We don't always see it because we need to focus our attention in a different place to see that God really is at work, to see He's working behind the scenes in our lives. When we're unconscious of the fact that God is working, through a bunch of different factors and in different ways in our lives, it doesn't mean that he's not working. The fact that we don't know it doesn't mean that it's not true. And so we learn from the passage we're going to look at this morning, I think, that God is at work behind the scenes to advance his cause, to advance his plan, to accomplish his purposes in and through our lives. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. You have your phone or device, or you can reach under the pew in front of, or the pew, the seat in front of you, and there should be a Bible. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, so I know that some of your versions, the ESV, the NIV, it might be a little bit different. I'll try to explain the major differences as we walk through the text, but if you have other questions about it, you can ask me. But here we see, I think, God's sovereign work in Saul's life in these verses that reveal three areas. Uh, of our lives, which God oversees. He's, he's in charge of them to advance His redemptive plan. And, and, and these, oh, the awareness of this, I think, should humble us. 
And it should also encourage us, to motivate us, to, to keep pressing ahead that God's still at work even when we don't see it. And so I'm going to read down through verse 17, okay? I'm just going to read through verse 17, I'm not going to read all of it, uh, and then we'll, we'll start to look at this. Now, there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, the son of, uh, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor, and he had a son whose name was Saul. So we are introduced to Saul through his father, Kish. A choice, Saul is, uh, it's verse 2, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants and arise and go search for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Cilicia, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shaalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, that'd be kind of a weird name. I'm a Zufite. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, they came to the land of Zuf. Uh, Saul said to the servant who was with him, who was with him, come and let us return, lest my father cease to be concerned about the donkeys and become anxious for us. And he said to him, Behold now, there is a man of God. Now he is the servant. Okay, it's not Saul talking, it's a servant. In verse 6, There is a man of God in this, in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to the servant, But behold, if we go, what will we bring to the man? For the bread is gone from our sack, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, and he said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver, and I will give to it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Uh, verse 9 is kind of commentary, parenthetical thing about the fact that uh, now what was prophet is now called a seer, uh, so uh, that's no big deal. Verse 10, Then Saul said to his servant, Well said. Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the slope of the city... They found the young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered and said, He is. See, he is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come to the city today, for the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. And as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for you will find him at once." So they went up to the city. As they came to the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you, will, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he shall deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people, because their cry has come to me. And then Samuel saw Saul. The Lord said to him, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, that's quite a phrase, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. 
Now that's not the entire text and it unpacks the story of how Samuel and Saul interacted with each other and what Samuel did for Saul and we'll get into that in a minute, in a few minutes. But here we see these three arenas or three areas of our lives that we see in Saul's life, what God was doing in his life, that he, he works in our lives in the same way, that he's sovereign over them, he's providential, he is at work. First of all, he's in charge of our circumstances. We left chapter 8 with an unanswered question. It was kind of like, drop the ball. You're going to anoint a king, Samuel. And then it's like everybody went home. <laughs> you kind of go, whoa, wait a second. Well, what happened? Uh, I thought he was going to anoint a king. And so the answer to that question comes in chapters 9 and 10. Who will be appointed king? Uh, so, and what we see here is, is God is ruling wonderfully mysteriously, oftentimes in unknowable ways to sustain and support uh, his people through, in spite of, and in light of all the circumstances of our lives. Now, what do I mean by that? The various circumstances. First of all, the, the pedigree of Saul. Uh, Kish was his father, and Kish was a man of Benjamin, a Benjamite, which is interesting to me in the sense that Samuel was also a Benjamite. There's also another famous guy in the Bible, maybe more than one, who was a Benjamite. His name was also Saul at one time, but then it became Paul, the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3. He was a Benjamite. Now, the Benjamites weren't really the, uh, they weren't the biggest tribe, uh, and Kish wasn't from the most famous family line within the Benjamites. And we also know that the Benjamites were kind of uh, known notoriously immoral and corrupt. Uh, we don't have time to turn there, but you can look at Judges chapter 18 and 19, and we see uh, there was some pretty nasty stuff that went on in the, in the family of Benjamin. So that's kind of their, their lineage. And this guy named Kish, who was a valiant warrior, so he was of some renown within this tribe, at least, had a son named Saul. What was his position? Geographically. Uh, well, he's from Benjamin, okay, so uh, I didn't put a map up, but if you went to the, the Dead Sea, you just look a little bit to the north and west of the Dead Sea, that's the, the little area that the Benjamites had, that, that was the land they lived in, so he was from a location. And what is our placement historically? Well, Saul was born at the end of the period of the judges when Samuel was the prophet, the priest, and the judge. So this is his historical, historical back, back, background, okay. And then we all have some physical history, right? I mean, <laughs> physicality. What is our physicality? Look at chapter 9, verse 2. We read about Saul. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice. The New American Standard says choice, okay? Your, your version may not say choice. Uh, a handsome man. He was in his prime, okay? So he was like really... Nice dude. He was, a, he, was a, he, was a, he was a man's man, okay? He was handsome. And he was a, a head taller than anybody. So he was the center on their basketball team. He was the big dude, you know? He was a big guy, and he was handsome, okay? Now, take your Bibles and, and flip over to chapter 10, verse 23. And we'll get there uh, eventually. But it says, uh, 
So, so they ran and took him, that is Saul, from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And then we see the, the description again in verse 24 of chapter 10. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Sure, there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. So that's, that's the guy. Okay. God gave the people of Israel a king like all the nations, a uniquely compelling physical specimen. I mean, wouldn't you think that? I mean, like, who's going to be king? Well, this macho, uh, tall, handsome, more handsome than anybody guy. I mean, he's Mr. GQ in Israel. Okay. What's interesting is that it, what he was externally covered up what God desired and preferred spiritually. We see in, well, we will see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, what, what does God look for? Does he look for the outward appearance? No. He's concerned about what's on the heart. But the people got what they wanted. They got a looker, you know. They got the, the guy, the model man, which is, again, a reminder of how our externalities can, can really be a disguise, and really, we're drawn to that, but that's not really what's important. And so we think about this. Then, then he, God is also in charge of our personal activity. Verse 3, we go, well, they got some donkeys that were lost. Now, most of us have never had much experience with donkeys, but if what little we know about donkeys, we think, well, that's a relief. Uh, they're gone. Uh, but not so much here. This is an agrarian society, and donkeys were part of their herd, which is part of their wealth. These are probably female donkeys on which, uh, you know, figures of importance would ride. They were the ones from whom they got milk. They were the ones that were responsible for the perpetuation and expansion of their herd. This was a significant financial loss for Saul's dad. And so it would behoove them to find them. And uh, so they went on this intensive search. I, I know a uh, uh, a couple where the, where the wife lost one of her diamonds and uh, they, it was like, well, you know, didn't lose her, 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 her wedding ring but lost one of her diamonds. Like, whoa, we're on a search uh, because we want to find it. It's, it's valuable. Now, what I want to say, having all that background, is really the introduction, is that we can lament, we can lean into our own reality because all of us have a pedigree. Right? All of us have a family tree. We all come from somewhere. And we, we can see this as, uh, as God, what God has been and what God is doing in and through all that we are for His glory, or we can just ignore it. If someone is say, well, and people have asked me, so how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? This is my life. That's how long. It takes my entire life. Because all of who I am and all that I do and all that God has brought into my life is part of, of who I am. And, and you too. All of us. And it's, it's, it's important. It's encouraging. Now we have a pedigree. For some of us, it may be royalty. Uh, I have this family search uh, app that I've, uh, or site that I've joined. And I got a uh, notification that I might be uh, related somehow to... Uh, uh, this Astor guy played uh, 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 Frodo in, uh, in uh, 
you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know. It's like, really? Uh, he was also the dude, I think if I have the right guy, he was, uh, remember, or not, uh, Rudy, okay? He was Rudy, okay, in, the, in, in that movie. Sean Astor? Aston, yeah, that's the guy. I haven't looked it up. But anyhow, some of us have, have royalty in our, our pedigree, and most of us are just ordinary. Okay? Most of us are just kind of, you know, hey, that's, it's, you get what you got. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 27 and 29. He says that God, he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are that we might not boast in ourselves but in God. So God is at work. The place of our birth is, is, you know, in this particular period of history, is unchangeable. Where you were born and the time in history we were born is not something we can change, but it's not accidental. It's not accidental. Now, whether we're a son, whether we're a daughter, whether we're tall, whether we're short, whether we're skinny, whether we're wide, whether we have dark hair or light hair, whether we have hair or we don't have hair, all that stuff is something God is in control of. Whether we're musical, whether we're brilliant mentally, or whether we're dull, whether we're searching for donkeys or changing diapers. God, God knows. And God is somehow working behind and in and through and all of that masterfully and mysteriously using these everyday circumstances for His purposes and to bring Himself glory. And I just don't know if most of us have given that much thought as we go through our day. Wow, God has me in this place at this time, in this body, in relationship with these people for His purposes and for His glories. So how do we know? I mean, I make this claim, but so how do we know that God, God's mostly unseen wisdom and ways do not work only for the major figures like Saul? You know, I mean, this is a story about Saul, right? So how do we know it doesn't just work for him, but that it also works for the, the minor figures, you know, us minor league players in, in God's plan? Well, I mean, the words of Solomon affirm it. This is Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to refer to uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. But this text reveals to us that God was directing Saul and I don't think that it means that he's only directing Saul and we'll get to that in a minute but I want you to read the the major interruption in this whole story which is in verses 15 through 17. Now a day before Saul's coming so all this is about Saul and him coming to meet Samuel but a day before he got there what happened? The Lord revealed this to Samuel. What did he reveal? This, this meaning, verse 16, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from Benjamin. Not just any man, a man from Benjamin, a particular man named, well, we know now, but his name is Saul. I will send you this man, and you will anoint him to be prince. 
It tells us that Saul's identity and his search for donkeys served God's purposes. A man refers to Saul, who is God's choice. I never thought about this until I was doing my research and studying this. But if you excluded verses 15 through 17, you wouldn't change the story a bit. You wouldn't change the momentum of the story. These verses have no impact on the momentum of the story, but they have every bit of impact on the meaning of the story. The whole meaning of the story is wrapped up in these verses, but they don't change the momentum of it a bit. God used life's common activities, including the annoying difficulty of losing your donkeys, uh, to further his purposes. And the plan becomes more clear as we look at the fact that God is in charge not just of our circumstances, but of our choices in verses 4 through 14. And when I say God is in charge, okay, that's, okay, uh, what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes he is directly controlling and directing like he hardened Pharaoh's heart, okay? The text of Exodus chapter 9 verse 12 says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't know how you read that any way other than that God hardened his heart. Okay? And that he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. But also God works subtly and indiscreetly and often invisibly. Guiding our choices. Adapting our choices to accomplish his purposes. There are three common areas in which God works in and through our choices. First of all, our pathway, our direction, where we're going. In the common events, like uh, looking for donkeys, uh, and, you know, I feel sorry for some, I'm, okay, how many have ever lost a dog? Okay, you, you, you look for your dog, right? The dog ran off, oh, what were we going to do with the dog? Uh, or you lost a cat, or, God forbid, some of us, we lost a child, uh, couldn't find the kid, where'd he go, ran off, I don't know where they went, you know, we're in the store and looked around, and all of a sudden, whoops, gone. So you, 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 in these ordinary events of life, God, God is, is working. So here we had looking for donkeys in the central highlands of, uh, of Benjamin, Ephraim. They're looking around for them, and they're, uh, and they're making choices. God was either guiding them in. He gave them wisdom to make the choices that where are you going to look for the donkeys? Where are you going to look for your child? Where are you going to look for your dog? He's either guiding them or giving them wisdom in it. Or he's, he's cooperating with their will to bring about his purpose. Behind it all, God's working. And he did this all to send Saul to Samuel. That's the point of verses 15 through 17. He did it to send Saul to Samuel. When I was a senior in high school, or senior in college, I mean, um, I, was, uh, I felt God was leading me to go on a short-term mission trip. And I didn't know where I would go. I had a, a roommate, and he had, he had been to... Uh, 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 Branson, Missouri, and he had worked at an uh, IGA grocery store, and on this particular mission trip I was looking to go on, you had to kind of pay your own way, you know, so you had to get a job, and then you, you did ministry stuff at night, and so long story short, I felt like God, I was going to go, leading me to go to Branson, Missouri. Did God tell me to go to Branson, Missouri? No. Did God direct me to go to Branson, Missouri? I think so, and then I made some choices along the way because I didn't want to come out you know, dirt poor. I wanted to not be a negative financially when I got... So a lot of these decisions, but the long story short is that's where I met my wife. Go figure. 
that's not why I went, but that's one of the things that happened as a result of the choices that I made that God was sovereignly working in and through and around and with to accomplish that purpose. So I think we should take heart that God is at work in your ordinary, our ordinary, daily, everyday choices to serve His purposes. So don't take it lightly. No, I'm saying obsess about every decision you make. Well, I didn't obsess about what I was going to wear this morning. I just thought about last night. Yeah, that's what I'm going to wear tomorrow. Now, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you are colorblind and, and you can't, it doesn't matter, maybe some blinds you. I, I don't know, but I didn't do this intentionally. But see, God doesn't care. He works in spite of our choices sometimes. Because he loves us. And he's at work. And then our promptings in verses 5 through 10, I'm going, well, how do they know where to look for these stupid donkeys? I'm sorry. How do they know where to look for the donkeys? You know that story about the guy who sold his donkey. He, this is, this is for free. He, he, he sold a donkey to, to his neighbor. And he came back and says, I want my money back. That donkey won't do a thing. All he does is sit on the ground. And he, he won't do anything. I tell him to get up. I yank on the halter and he won't get up. He won't get up. And the guy says, oh, he says, I'm sorry. I forgot. And he went to his, his woodshed and he brought out about a two by four about this big along. He says, sometimes you have to hit him over the head to get his attention before he'll do anything. Now, you think, well, that's mean, that's nasty. Uh, I'm not saying, advocating that. I'm just saying donkeys are donkeys, and they do what donkeys do, and sometimes you have to prompt them a little bit to encourage them to, to do what they're supposed to do, okay? Because they have a mind of their own, kind of like children. And so, our prompting. So, how did this go down? Saul was ready. At the end of verse 4, what was Saul ready to do? Packing it up. I've done three strikes and you're out. <laughs> I went to this place, no donkeys. I went to this place, no donkeys. I went to this place, no donkeys. Let's go home. We're out of bread, out of food. Dad's going to be worried about us. Let's go home. But it's the servant who didn't let him go. But his servant was more steadfast. And some would argue more spiritually minded than Saul. And so he said, let's, 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 let's look. And we're going to see that Saul, as we go on in this story is not all that spiritually minded, <laughs> and he's not all that steadfast. Uh, but the servant said, let's go. And verse 6 says this. And he said to him, behold, now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. How about we seek him out? How about we talk to, to him? And the man of God was a term uh, given to those who were highly recognized, prominent. A prominent representative of Yahweh, of, of God, to whom the people looked for guidance. Moses was a man of God. Elijah was a man of God. Elisha was a man of God. Samuel was a man of God. And he was held in honor. And even the servant knew whatever he says comes to pass. That's a pretty big uh, promotion. So the prompting of seeking him out, of advice from the man of God, of seeking God's will, of seeking God's way, this prompting, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It should have been normal. It should have been normal for him. It should have been normal for, it should be normal for us, right? We should be wanting to know what God wants us to do in any given situation. How should we approach it? Looking for God, it should be for us. I remember 
uh, I was spending some time with the Lord and, and, and the Lord brought somebody's name to my mind and said, you know, and I just felt like God wanted me to pray for that person. And so I, I prayed for that person and I was praying for that person. I find out later, uh, like, you know, a week or so later, that I, I, I texted the person and said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And that person was on the phone with another person sharing their agony and their discouragement and their frustration and the hardship that they were going through. And the prayer that I offered for them was at the precise time that they were going through that time. I had no clue, but God did. And so we should seek God's face. We should listen to his promptings. One of the things in the, in the mission trip training that I've done and, and, and been a part of, it's like, do we listen? Do we go when God says go? What is that all about? Well, I don't know. I don't, I, God didn't write it on the sky. I didn't tell, you know, just it was a, a still small voice of the Spirit of God saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And I think that's what was going on in their lives. I like Alexander McLaren's description of the, the series of events that Saul went through. He says this. And behind all these, these events, and working through them, the will and the hand of God thrusting this man, Saul, all unconscious, he had no clue about it, along a path which he knew not. This glorious interruption in verse 16 reveals the place of God's providence in the ordinary events of his major and minor servants. Uh, You can write down Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. God is working in the major servants. He's working in the minor servants as well. So I just want to encourage you. It was encouraged to me. Lord, let's just uh, take comfort in, in, in your concern for the common stuff. It's not insignificant necessarily in God's eyes. Then there's the personal context. In verses 11 through 14, they're going up. Okay, we find out we, we got a quarter shekel of silver. We can make it away up. We got something to give the man of God when we get there. They run into some ladies. They didn't have Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. So they had to say, is the man of God here? Well, ladies on the way to the well. They got the inside scoop. Yeah, he's here. Just go down there. Hurry, get there because he's got a sacrifice. He's going on there. So the issue is God worked through all the independent choices of Saul and his servant inquiring about the whereabouts of the man of God and and their response to the women's assurances, yes, he is there to bring about and accomplish what God had said. I will send you a man. The day before, God had told Samuel, I will send you a man. And God was working all this behind the scenes, around and through, and he brought the man of God. Saul was clueless to God's divinely orchestrated work in meeting. A meeting which, uh, why were they going up to the man of God? Find out about the donkeys. (laughs) Well, they found out about the donkeys. They were informed about the donkeys, but then they were also given an indication of something much more significant, Saul's place in Israel's history. Our interactions with people is not to be taken lightly. I may have told you the story. I can't, I, this is how old I am. I couldn't remember if I told you the story. So if I have, just bear with me. But uh, 
We have, a, we have a friend, Marlon, I have a friend, and he and his wife were at a football game watching their grandson play football, and there was a, a gentleman there that wasn't from that town, it was a small town, and they knew that that person had no connection, and they didn't know anything about this person, but the person was being obnoxious and annoying, and through a series of uh, conversations that were overheard, the two had a mutual interest in flying. And so during the course of the game, the two uh, got together and sat together, the man and our friend, and over the course of that time, our friend, who's in charge of a, a ministry in another country, shared his, his, why he flies and where he flies. And this man, who was a stranger, was interested. And by the end of the conversation, by the end of the interaction, this total stranger, who he and his wife happened to be a believer, ended up pledging $500,000 to my friend's ministry. They met at a football game in a small town, never knew each other, and my friend was actually annoyed at the guy uh, when he first uh, knew him. God works in our choices. He works in our circumstances. And finally, we see that God is in charge of our consequences. There are two consequences over which God exercises influence in Saul's life that he also exercises in our life. First of all, in our place in ministry. And this is verses 15 through 27. In verses 15 and 16, we see that Samuel is given credibility. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord, this is important, the Lord revealed to Samuel. So who is this man of God? He's a man of God to whom God speaks. And God had spoken to him. And he said, I will send you. God mysteriously and mightily worked in Saul's selection. Saul is the man. Saul is in his presence. So the man was sent, and here he is. God was working to accomplish. And then it says, he shall anoint him, you shall anoint him prince. I thought they wanted a king. Now, I don't know, I can't prove this, but in the, in the reading I've done, I kind of agree with the fact that he used the word prince, and he uses it again. We'll see it in chapter 10. He uses the word prince to remind Samuel and to remind Saul that there is really one king in Israel, and that's the Lord. But you're going to rule, okay, so he is the one, and you're going to anoint him, that is to set him apart, to consecrate him for service. To do what? To serve God's people, to serve God through his people. That was his ministry. And he had no clue of it, and he wasn't aware of it. And this, this happened privately, and we're going to see it in chapter 10. Now look at verse 17, and it says, When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, that's the guy. He brought him, not an accident, again, confirmation that this was the one, that the man, to, to, and this man will rule. Now the ESV says he'll restrain. Those sound contradictory. Well, one's going to rule, one's going to restrain. It's kind of different. Restrain my people. And this was confirmed through God's word to Samuel. Now, the ambiguity of those terms, I mean, rule or restrain, restrain means kind of hold back. So I kind of understand it. It could be translated either way. So this is the, the dilemma. I think it makes sense to understand that he was ruling over Israel, but in a way that restrained them from experiencing the kind of king that God really wanted for them. They got what they wanted, but it wasn't what God wanted. And so he restrained them. And we see this in Saul's life. He was kind of a knucklehead uh, as, as, a, as a king. And so that's, that's my explanation of that. 
What is the consequence of God's selection of Saul? Look at verse 16. You shall anoint him prince over my people. That's one consequence. And he shall deliver my people, deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. Deliverance of God's people. Saul was oblivious, <laughs> but, but God was revealing it through Samuel. And, 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 and he, he revealed in verse 20, he says, And as for the donkeys, uh, they're found. Don't worry about them. And, for, and then he says this to, to Saul. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's household? And you go, that's very confusing. I think at first, at first brush, you know. I think, just take it this way. He declares Paul's, Saul's identity as the man who's going to be the anointed, but he also, he's also declaring his destiny. And on, read it this way, and on whom is all Israel's desire fixed? What was their desire? What did they want at the end of chapter 8? They wanted a king. On whom is all of Israel's desire fixed? Is it not on you and upon your father's household? You're the guy, I think is what he's saying. Samuel's saying, you are the king Israel desires. And then you look at verse 21, and Saul's going, he understood. I think. Because Saul said, wait a second, me? Again, my paraphrase. I... I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the least uh, of the, the families in Israel. And I'm from the least important family within that tribe. So how can this be? And then notice the end of the verse. He says, why then do you speak to me in this way? Like I'm going to be the king. He understood. And I think he demonstrated abject Humility. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, we have confirmation of that. Saul replied, Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families? He understood it. You see, our own self-assessment can sometimes be shattered when God wants to do a work. Uh, my encouragement is to pray, and this is my application for this point, is to, to pray for Norb. And for Debbie and Jr., because their value is going to be elevated beyond their own self-assessment when they're in Haiti. The people there will venerate them. They will lift them up and hold them up and, and value them beyond their own self-assessment. And it can be intoxicating. And we see this with Saul. He became intoxicated with his power. He became intoxicated with his own position. Not initially, but eventually. How did Samuel answer? <laughs> he said, he didn't answer him, really. He said, okay, come with me. We got, a, we got a feast, we got a sacrifice to go to. And we're going up to the sacrifice, and we're going to be there. In verses 22 through 24, he provided the answer. By his placement of Saul and his at the position of prominence at this feast, okay? Which is an interesting thing when you think about it because the ladies told uh, Samuel, uh, told Saul, that the, Samuel's there and he has to offer a sacrifice and the people can't eat until Samuel offers a sacrifice. Uh, if we look forward a little bit, we're going to find out that 
Samuel told Saul to wait until he gets there. This is in a few chapters. And I will offer the sacrifice. And Saul doesn't listen to it. He didn't listen to it. He didn't get it. But he should have. And so we're going to put him in a position of prominence. That was typically, and then they gave him this portion of prominence. So he was put in a position at the head table, and he was given the portion. He was given the thigh, which was typically reserved for the priests. We have two daughters, and both of them got married last summer. Marla and I were in the positions of prominence at the, rehearse, at the reception. Okay. Didn't hurt that we paid for most of it, but uh, uh, we're in the positions of prominence, okay? Now, at another wedding, Mark Klein, one of our elders, was given the portion of prominence, uh, the, the chicken legs in his soup, you know? Uh, that was the portion of prominence. Here, Saul is given it. God's work and, and word confirmed that Saul is the chosen king. But you're chosen too if you know Christ. You're chosen for his service. Now what particular point of service? Mm, I don't know for sure. But God does and he's working it out through his word and his work to help us understand. We're all created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right? We are his, that's Ephesians 2.10. We are his chosen people. A royal priesthood. A people of his own possession. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He works through the ordinary circumstances of our lives. Through your feeding of children. you going to work. You're buying groceries. If you have donkeys, maybe you need to chase your donkeys. Uh, doing your homework. You chase your goats. Whatever it happens to be. And God works in, in His Word to confirm and clarify. Folks, one of my favorite Old Testament verses is in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. And then Jacob awoke. He was, he was sleeping. And God had appeared to him in a dream. And he said, certainly the Lord is in this place. Well, I didn't know it. If you are a child of God, God is in this place. He's in every place we are. And we just don't know it. And we need to be, I think, a little more in tune with the reality that God is at work in and through and around all of our circumstances, all of our choices, and ultimately for His consequence, which first of all is our place of ministry. God didn't save us to sit and soak. He saved us to serve. And then finally, He says the the other uh, consequence is our participation in mercy. Don't miss the end of verse 16. At the end of verse 16 of chapter 9, it says, Why did God send Saul to be anointed as king? For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Look at chapter 10, verse 18. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. 
They rejected God and replaced God as king, and yet God heard their cry because they were afraid of the Philistines, and he sent Saul to be anointed king to deliver them. Compassion is what motivated God's coronation in spite of their corruption because of God's character. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not strive with us, nor will he uh, regard our iniquities. Psalm 103, verse 8. You keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities or, or regarded, rewarded us according to our, our deeds. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. We have a God who cares for his people. Do we deserve it? No. Did they get what they deserved? No. They got what they didn't deserve. That's mercy. Mercy there was grace and grace and great. Uh, Grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. As a believer, this is not an an excuse for us to continue in sin. This is, you can read Romans chapter 5 at the end of chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. What shall we do then? If if when we sin, grace abounds, so we continue in sin, so grace would superabound. And Paul says, God forbid. This is not an excuse to sin, but an encouragement for imperfect sin. Followers of Jesus. Because we do mess up. And that he's gracious and caring and loving. How many of you who are parents, when your child messes up, do you just excommunicate them for life? No. You're gracious and compassionate and caring and loving and forgiving. That's our God. And let us rejoice in that. God wonderfully, mysteriously, and mercifully works in our circumstances and our choices to accomplish His purposes. Let us be aware of that. Let us appreciate, appreciate that. And accept that as part of our everyday milling around smartly. Life that God is working. And if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would just say this to you. God's merciful provision of an earthly king to deliver the people from an earthly enemy is simply a foreshadowing of God's ultimate demonstration of mercy in providing an eternal king that will deliver us from eternal condemnation. The person of Jesus on the cross of Calvary gave us what we do not deserve. He shed his blood so that all of us who believe in him would have his righteousness placed upon us and our sin that he was punished for, our sin, placed on him. That's what we do when we take the bread and the cup as we remember it and we rejoice in it. And so this morning, if you're here and you know Jesus, I pray that you would take a few moments and reflect upon what God in Christ has done for you. That he has extended mercy when we deserve his wrath. And that you would confess any known sin. And come and take the bread and the juice either here or in the back. 
at you, as you feel led, you can take it back to your, ta- or your seat if you want. And then rejoice that we have a God who's at work in and through and around and beyond the mysterious and marvelous and magnificent ways that we don't ever understand completely. We may never not know all of it. We know it for Saul, and we know it sometimes in our lives, but oftentimes we don't. But let's take heart that God's still doing it for his glory and the gain of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these lessons from your word. I thank you that you raised up Saul, that you demonstrated your sovereignty, your providential care, but also that you demonstrated your mercy, as you will continue to do for the people of Israel as they gather and experience your mercy and delivering them from enemies. I thank you that you delivered us from the greatest enemy, sin and death and hell. And I pray that as we take these elements, we would remember that, rejoice in it, and give you glory and praise as we leave this place. Let us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, conscious of your working in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name.